Thanks for selecting some great songs in preparation for our time in God's Word. The words were so fitting and appropriate, and I appreciate Matt's thinking through those things for us each Sunday. Well, we are beginning today this series on the glory of Christ at Christmas. So our attention, our focus will be on Christ how glorious he is, how he was the anticipated one throughout the years. And so this is the Sunday, the first Sunday of, of uh, celebration of Christ's coming. Referred to, like I say, by some as Advent, which means his coming. And uh, the first Sunday is uh, anticipating his coming with hope. So our thought this morning is, what is the hope? And it begins with a prophecy that came some 700 years before Christ was even born. This great anticipation of the prophets of the great light. And that's what we want to talk about uh, this morning. The sun is the great light in our solar system. Its properties radiate, penetrate the cold darkness of outer space. And without the sun, the earth would be an inhabited ice cube wandering aimlessly throughout the cosmos. There would only be night on the earth without the sun. No warm summer days. Without the sun, no living creature could exist on this terrestrial ball. However, as essential and wonderful the light of the sun is to the earth, it must be remembered Jesus Christ is the great light of all creation. He is the one who spoke into existence the sun, the moon, and the stars. He is the one who claimed, I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the great light. He's the great light foreseen by the ancient prophets, in particular, as we think today, the prophet Isaiah. Out of extreme, dark, gloomy days in Israel, Isaiah pronounced an amazing prophecy of the dawn of a new day. This is 700 years before Christ. And he also was facing darkness. Israel was shrouded in darkness. And then one day, 700 years after this prophecy, an angel appeared. An angel appeared to a man by the name of Joseph, who was of the seed of the promised Christ. And the angel explained to Joseph that Isaiah's prophecy was about to be fulfilled. Mary, Joseph's uh, betrothed wife, was found with child by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And the angel announced to her, Emmanuel will come. God with us will come. He will be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And so the great light was about to break forth. And it was, he was going to divide the darkness from the light. John's gospel speaks of Christ's coming. He knew that there was a need in his day and for generations to come of a savior. The appearance of the great light, that's what they were waiting for. John's gospel speaks of Christ's coming in these terms, very similar to the prophecy we'll be reading. In John 1, verse 4, 9, 11, In him was life, 
And the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Advent. Into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Light came to what I refer to as Shadowland in Galilee. But they did not receive him. Why? Well, Jesus said because they loved the darkness rather than the light. Jesus came to his own people to bring light into a world that had been blinded by darkness. And this remains an appropriate description of our own day. We too need to hear the same gospel of hope prophesied by Isaiah almost 3,000 years ago. Now, however, we can confidently say that the great light has come. He has arrived. For us, Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. The light of the world has come. So let's examine Isaiah's prophecy that came, as I said, 750 years before Christ to see how it was actually fulfilled when he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. We, are read, we read in Isaiah 9, we'll read just verse 1 here to start with, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the na- land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, referring to the Jordan and to Galilee. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, for us to appreciate this prophecy, we must understand how long it took for this to be fulfilled. For those 700 years or more, there were those who were anticipating the coming of Christ. Put that into perspective today. The prophets anticipated the coming of Christ, and so do we. He came as a little baby. When he comes again, he will not come as an innocent little baby born in a humble manger. He will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will be the great light, and he will shine brightly. Now, The great light, we are told here by Isaiah, will shine brightly upon those who walked in spiritual darkness. And the history of Israel's oppression during the days of Isaiah is recorded previously in this book, in chapters 7 and 8 in particular. The nation of Israel was surrounded by invading armies. The city of Jerusalem was even under siege And in this dark hour, the Lord told Isaiah to offer his people hope. Hope especially to Ahaz, who was the king of Jerusalem. Previously in chapter 7, verse 4 of Isaiah, there's a really important phrase, sentence that goes forth. This is that hope that they needed, the hope we need. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. These words may sound kind of distant to us this morning. If you were in China, you were part of the church, those words would be extremely appropriate. They are living under oppression. And the days that they are in are beginning to look dark to them. And yet... They have something we need to make sure we don't lose. 
You know what that is? Hope. Their hope is in Christ. I love those people. They have much to teach us. Christ is the hope of the world. He is the great light. Isaiah's words sound strangely familiar, interestingly enough, to the words that were uttered by the angelic host as they announced the good news of Christ's birth in Bethlehem centuries later. He promised, Isaiah promised to make their enemies like smoldering embers in a dampened campfire. And he further warned in Isaiah 7-9, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, if our faith isn't strong today, it will not stand the test of tomorrow, especially in adversity. Sadly, Ahaz, the king who is to receive this hope from the Lord, rejected the hope of the coming of Christ. Instead, he placed his hope on Assyria. Sadly, Ahaz rejected the hope of Christ. And therefore, he made an unholy alliance with his enemy. And it wasn't long after this uh, compromise, after this alliance, that there was oppression of the people and the oppression would ultimately lead to captivity. And the people of Israel, sadly to say, with the hope of, of the Lord given to them, they defiantly turned their faces away from the Lord. They began to inquire of mediums, soothsayers, and fortune tellers for guidance. They moved into darkness. The nation, especially the northern uh, region of Israel in Galilee, tragically fell into a time of unparalleled distress and darkness. We're also told by the prophet that the great light will turn the gloom of Galilee into joy. He would come to the regions of the north of Zebulun and Naphtali to make the way to the sea glorious. In other words, that way around Galilee that led to the Sea of Galilee. That area is going to be turned from darkness and they're going to see the light. And this is where the two tribes that are mentioned here once dwelt. Galilee is also referred in the Bible as the land of the Gentiles because it was under Roman uh, occupation, a stronghold and commercial center. It was also known for its moral and spiritual corruption. You may have heard in the Bible kind of a, a cynical way of referring to Galilee where they would say, can anything good come out of Galilee? And the answer to that is a resounding, absolutely yes. What would come that would be glorious is the great light. It was in this region that Jesus grew up and began to change the world. I find it fascinating, just for a little side note for a second, when I was in Israel, I've been there a few times, and um, I was told if you look out on the plains of, uh, uh, of Armageddon, if you would, at the Eshkelon Valley there, I thought, golly, this is where history is going to come to a, a climax. It's going to come to a battle. I looked and then I, I looked over further and I asked the guy that goes, well, what is on the other side of the valley? On the other side? You know what it is? Nazareth. Think of that. This one who is going to turn the darkness into light is the one who grew up where history will end. Think of that. Is he acquainted with darkness? Oh, absolutely. Did he grow up uh, in, a, in a culture 
that was decayed and corrupted absolutely. His light in Galilee would begin to shine and it would shine in particular upon Gentiles, non-Jews. And it would be the dawn of a new day for Gentiles around the world from China even to us here. Matthew 4, 13 through 16 tells us that Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. Now, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Notice that Matthew is recording for us how Christ is fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have what? Seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, Jesus Christ was the great light who shined brightly in Galilee, just as the prophet had foretold. After John the Baptist was imprisoned, Jesus began to to preach. He preached for repentance. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, further foresaw that the great light would turn his people's gloom into joy. That's what light can do. That's what Christ can do. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil or take what's remaining from battle. Those who once walked through the valley of the shadow of death would see the great light. God shining on them. His glory would push back the gloom and despair of Galilee. The gloom and despair of Shadowland. Um, Actually, Jesus is going to fulfill the hope that is given to us in Psalm 23 and Isaiah uh, 43. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for I am with you. Emmanuel, you are with me. David's hope. Isaiah gives us hope as well. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Emmanuel, be with you. And though The rivers shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. What are these scriptures offering to us? Hope. Hope in Christ. He is our light in this dark world. Tell me where you find hope in the world outside of Christ. I find hope in a dark world And it is Christ. He brings hope. And he brings comfort to the despairing and discomforted. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, he recognized that Jesus was going to be this great light. He would be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that we have been looking at. Here's his words. Day spring from on high has visited us, advented us, to give light to those who sit in darkness 
and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the hope of every generation. It was the hope of Zechariah. The joy of someday being in the presence of God. In his presence, we are told, is joy forevermore. His glorious presence turns our gloom to joy and it guides our feet in the way of peace. We're also told in verses 4 and 5 of uh, Isaiah's prophecy, he announced that the great light will liberate, set free the captives of Shadowland. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now I'm going to explain what that is. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel in the fire. This is just another way of saying he will come and he will triumph. He'll triumph over sin and death. And someday this will also be fulfilled when Christ comes again. Let's look at that a little closer. The great light will bring hope to shadow lane. Isaiah, once again, is trying to do what the Lord had told him. Give your people hope. The news of Messiah's coming was intended to give his people what they needed most. Emmanuel, God with us, would come. He'd come as a valiant deliverer far greater than Moses or David. He would deliver them from slavery. And right away they were thinking of slavery to Rome. But it's even much greater than that. That he would set them free from slavery to sin and death. This is something only God could do. Something that only the great light could do. Jesus said in John 8. That he was our emancipator. He's our liberator. He said most assuredly I say to you. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide forever. In the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore if the son makes you free. You shall be free indeed. What hope that is. Emmanuel would call out of spiritual darkness sinners into his marvelous light. He would deliver them, deliver us from the power of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of his light. Therefore bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Sound good? See the hope? See what hope does? We're also told that the great light will destroy the enemy like God did on the day in Midian. A little background would help. Christ's triumph would come through his brokenness. Even as Gideon's army broke clay vessels that contained torches to lead them to victory in the valley of Mora. The Midianites came upon Israel like a cloud of locusts, is what it was said to be. They vastly outnumbered Gideon's ragtag troops. But the Lord wanted to show his power, his sovereignty. He wanted to demonstrate that his power in us can face the most difficult opposition, whether that opposition comes from within or without. So the Lord said to Gideon, with all of these army coming upon him like locusts, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel would boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. 
See, the Lord is saying, if, I, if you can fight against uh, this, this cloud of uh, locusts, um, you'll say you did it. And I want to show you that I can do it through your brokenness. Therefore, the Lord instructed Gideon to reduce the size of his army that had been 32,000, which still was way small compared to the Midianites. The Lord said through a process that I want you to get down to 300 men. 300 men against a a cloud of enemy greatly uh, armed and ready to fight. Now, if, if you were Gideon, you would say, I'm not sure I heard you correctly, Lord. I thought you said we had too many people at 32,000. Now you've got us down to 300. What did I not get right? Yes, this is what I want. 300 choice soldiers. But Gideon did as the Lord commanded. He stationed his army of 300 into three locations outside the enemy's camp. And each soldier was armed. But guess what they were armed with? A clay pot with a torch inside that'd be lit. With one hand, you would have like a, a lamp under a clay pot. And on the other hand, you would have that great um, Joshua weapon, a trumpet. 300 men against a cloud, and you've got a clay pot, and you've got a trumpet? What is God doing? He's setting up the stage to show their weakness, and in their weakness to show his power. And when darkness prevailed during the night watch, Gideon signaled his troops to blow their trumpets and break the clay vessels. And the sound of the trumpets blasting and the sudden light that emerged from these burning torches that were coming towards him, the Midianites panicked. They panicked and... uh, began to run around in in utter dismay what to do here. These men were half asleep as the light was coming towards them and all these trumpets were blowing. And they began, they pulled out their swords and they began to swing at shadows. Uh, But who were those shadows? Their own people. Many of those soldiers were killed. By their own people. They, it was the light. And the sound of the trumpets. That disoriented them. Unknowingly. It was the light. That came from broken pots. That caused their own defeat. They left. They ran. Isaiah referred to Gideon's battle in Isaiah 9. Even, I think, referred to as well by Matthew. To help us understand that Emmanuel's birth, his advent, would triumph over sin. That he would come as a humble clay vessel. He would not only break the yoke of their slavery to sin but also the rod of our oppressor, the devil. Isaiah therefore saw the glory of God veiled in common clay pot, like the flesh on a body. When visitors from the east came to Bethlehem to see the Christ, contrary to many of our Christmas cards, they didn't see a halo shining over the baby. They beheld the glory of God veiled in human flesh. And this is what the Gospel of John tells us in John 1.14. 
And the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is uh, as of the father of, of, uh, only, of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. My friends, that's hope. When Emmanuel's vessel was broken. In the darkness of Golgotha. The great light of God's glory and his grace shone through brightly in Shadowland. And it even shines bright today. That is why the Bible tells us we can see the glory of God by looking into the face of Jesus Christ. You ever wonder how glorious God is? Well, someday you will see how glorious God is because you will look face to face with Christ. The glory of God revealed to us in the person of Christ. Now Paul applied Gideon's battle in Isaiah to our present condition. He writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 11. Let me read them to you. You can follow along. He has in mind Isaiah. He has in mind uh, Gideon's battle. This is uh, throughout the scriptures you see this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Remember those pots? The light in there? You broke them? We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our mortal bodies. Then he concludes, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal bodies. For some, Christmas is just another season. For some, it's a season of joy filled with light. Sometimes we've let this season be filled with hectic busyness. Sometimes without even purpose. And there are many at this time of year who fall into darkness because of family. The very thing that you would think would bring the joy of getting everybody together. Sometimes when you are in the Christmas season, you live with the dynamics of family. For many of us, we're grateful for that. For others, it brings grief, hurt, pain. But Christmas is what we make of it, what we see in it. Christmas is the celebration of hope in darkness. Christ is the light that shines brightest in us through our brokenness. Those words haunt me. (laughs) The very thing I don't enjoy is being broken. Have a broken heart. Dreams broken. And yet, as I read the scriptures, it's through the broken vessel that the light shines forth. To see that it is the power of Christ that's released. You see, if you were one of those soldiers that was carrying a clay pot, and you said, I'm not going to break this pot. Uh, It was the crack pots that lived. (laughs) We're to be crack pots. (laughs) When you are broken, when your hands are empty, God's ready to fill them with his grace and his love. That's Advent. 
That's the hope of the season for us, friends. As we begin to look towards uh, that day uh, we refer to as Christmas Day, all of this is in anticipation of his coming. Christ is the treasure. He's the treasure that's hidden in us to show us his power. If you don't know what tomorrow holds, he does. If you don't know how you're going to endure, he does and he will. That's what Christmas should be for us. A time to think of our hope. Not our problems. Not of the uncertainties of life, but the certainty of Christ. He is our life now and will be forever. I can't wait till we start singing more Christmas carols. We're going to do that on the Sunday before Christmas here at the church. We'll tell you more about that. But I love one of my favorites. I guess we all have a favorite carol. You know what mine is? Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The great light has come. Let's keep that in mind this season as we go through our routines. If you don't mind a a few minutes of a quick report because it really fits in for what we're talking about. I spent three weeks in China. I saw this amazing thing that God's doing. In darkness, there's light. In darkness, there's light. Let me tell you real quickly of what's going on there. The government has, is clamping down, is what they describe it. The clamping down on Christians, the church. In what ways? Well, one is you couldn't have Sunday school to teach your children because the government is the ones who control the education of your children. So if you have children's stories on Sunday morning for the kids, you are liable for arrest. If you are a worker of the party, you work for the government in any capacity. It could be driving a bus, it could be in a particular uh, profession or whatever that's owned by the government. If you go to church, your job could be eliminated immediately. (laughs) Here's something you'll find interesting, and I'll show you a picture real quickly. The police are asked to go in and try to dispel, to try to break stuff up. One of the amazing things is in the hotel I was in was the one that they came to get me last time. And they didn't, obviously, because I'm here. And so this time, we were at the same hotel. We went upstairs to have some a breakfast, which they provide. I was sitting there, and then all of a sudden, in walks a policeman with his, you know, garb on. I looked at that, and I thought, have you ever heard of the last breakfast? And uh, so... I sat there and I'm wondering, what is going on here? He comes in and smiling. That was good. Goes and sits down. And then a woman came and sat down. And as she entered the room, she goes, you know, in Chinese, good morning, good to see you. I was sitting at a table with the leaders of the church. And I go, well, wait a minute here. Does she know what she's doing in front of these people? It was her husband. There was a policeman. I thought, okay, let's just get out of here. See, I go to my class. I had the auditorium pretty much full. And I'm getting ready to teach. And guess who comes? Sitting near the front is that policeman with his wife. And I'm going, "Uh uh-oh, what do I do? I just continued. And he smiled and sat through the whole um, God's at work. God is at work. The f- photo I show here is with church leaders in the region that I go to. I won't even give you the name of the city. 
uh, they had a, a room in a, a building, and that's where I slept for three days. And a little uh, cot. That's where they fed me dinner, so I wouldn't be outside. They said they were backdoor Christians. <laughs> that means that they had me here, but they did everything backdoor. That's why I would, they would serve meals in my room, so I didn't have to go out. I'd only go out to teach. And here is the leadership of this church that I've been with now for mm, almost three years. Here they are. Pastor, elders, and deacons. I had the privilege of helping them three years ago try to put their church together. And there they are. And there are six of these people who are cell group leaders. And guess what their discussion was? What do we do, Pastor Don? We are led to want to plant another church. Really? Mm -hmm. How do you do that when we would be under the watch of the government? How do we do that? We talked about that. Here's their attitude. We're prepared. (laughs) We're prepared and we're ready to do what God asks regardless of the consequences. That's like the first century. We're not stopped growing because the government doesn't want us to grow. We sat together there, had this incredible time to be a part of it. They consider me to be one of them, and I'm proud to be one of them. This was my last hour with them. I was teaching about Christ in the Old Testament. Do you notice that they're circled like that and I'm up front here and they're like that and this is what happened. We all agreed we may never see each other again. I may never be able to go to China again. I don't know. We'll see. And the thought that we would not see each other, they cried. They came up. This is them singing to me. I'm so unworthy. Why would you do that? But they wanted to know that they loved and cared for me because I was with them. I just was so humbled. I I just got, you know, like tears. And then they came up, one by one. All of them came up. They hugged me. And affirmed that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. In the darkness, there is light. This is another group that I went to, the place that came after me, uh, uh, the Police came after me in this town. And uh, here we are. They were so grateful to be together. Here's one amazing quick, I won't show you how boring to watch a a missionary's uh, slides, but I'll just do a few because there's stories behind it. There is a young man here in the shirt with his back to us and a gal in the orange. Here's what they're doing. I had just been teaching. We're having a break. And they said, we want to know Christ. We don't know much about him. So they gathered up front. And in front of everybody, they received Christ. Awesome. And after they'd done that, I said through an interpreter, would you mind if I explain to everybody just what happened? They said, we don't care. I said, I wanted to introduced to you two new babies were born and you didn't even see it. These are new babes in our family. They just received Christ and the group just goes ballistic. Yeah, they clapped, they whistled because two had come to know Christ in our session. They both stayed for the full time of teaching for two days. They both were involved in the study of God's word. How, that's what we're teaching, how to study God's word. They were in small groups uh, learning. And then I had each group come up and share what they discovered from the study of scripture. And they came up. It's awesome. Here's uh, three ladies and an old guy. And you'll say, who are these people? Well, this happens every time I go. The girl there with a white t-shirt has a serious 
um, abdominal problem. They're not quite sure what to do with her. So they bring her to be prayed for. I have been asked to pray for more people who are dying, who have cancer, who are depressed, who are threatening. I feel humbled by it, but I'm encouraged by it. I never point to myself. I always tell people, you know, I have no powers. I have no ability to heal. But I can pray with you, and Christ is the great healer. He's a great physician. If you understand that, I'll pray with you. We did. They're so grateful. Here's a little something I thought might be a little interesting for you. This is on my bathroom wall in my bathroom, my hotel. Do you... Do you get the humor of that? So next time you're in a bathroom where the floor is wet, slip carefully. I've always wondered, what would that be like? Oh, sorry. Here is the policeman and his wife sitting in a few rows in front of me. I'm showing you this picture. I went to a dinner in a large city. And uh, five of these men were invited who had um, contacts with the people who work with me, guide me through there. And uh, the gentleman the, in the middle with a black shirt on, you see that guy? I took this picture. He was in our dinner, and I'm wondering, why is he here? Well, he's here at this dinner because he knew the other people, and they play ping pong together. And I don't. And uh, he was introduced to me as the warden of the city jail to which I would be, if I were caught, I would go see him. And I'm thinking, he would say, he would say now why are you here? <laughs> I got, okay, what do I say? You know. So I would say, well, I'm here to do some teaching. What do you teach? I said, well, I teach Christ. I thought, he says, tell me more. And I said, you know, here's, I feel awkward. If I tell you, I'll end up in your place. He says, no, I'll give you a pass. You can tell me. So I did. And then they asked me, will you share the gospel? (laughs) I thought, Okay, Lord, uh, hope the people back home are praying right now because uh, here we go. Amazing opportunities. And he said to me in front of everybody, he goes, my family are dedicated Christians. Really? I said, I have a question of you. I said, what is it? You know what it is? I think you would guess. Are you a dedicated Christian? He said, I can't answer that question. If I did, I wouldn't, uh, I'd be out. Lord, how did you get me in these situations? Here are some of the groups studying the word of God, many of them for the first time. Others are in leadership positions. They're in small groups. We taught them how to read the scripture. Just a quick picture here. One of those was in my class. We went back to their home church. This church is a hundred and uh, like fifteen years old. Started, and it's still going. They have over a thousand people going to church there. If you have the idea of China being ricochets, uh, get rid of that idea. <laughs> if you saw the cities, if you saw the things that I saw, you would say. Oh my gosh, I don't think we have very many cities that can rival the ones that I go to. That's where I would go and walk and pray. That's where I met the Lord each day. That's where he would meet me. So thank you for praying for me. Um, It's not about me, but I can tell you this, friends. There is hope. And our hope is in Christ. It's the hope that preserves a church on the other side of the world. They pray for you. Amazing. They pray for us because of what they think we're facing with moral corruption. 
He said, I don't know how you guys do it. I go, really? Say, we're praying for you because we don't know how you're doing. And they go, oh, we're praying for you because I don't know how you can continue. They refer to America as mountain falling. That's how they see us. Mountain falling. But they love the church. This will crack you up and this is not a political thing. They love our president. They said, if we could have him. I said, could you? Oh, never mind. (laughs) And they said, but the things he's doing, the things are what we need and you're fortunate to have him. I'm not doing this as a political thing. I'm just telling you, they hear things very differently there than here, but they are praying for us. I'm praying for you and reverence. I'm so grateful that God has seen us through eight months, and now we're facing Christmas. Advent, the coming of Christ, the great light that's shone in the darkness, he's still shining brightly. Thank you, Father, for our time together this morning. We could gather in freedom. We just take that so casually. Pray for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are facing opposition, oppression, and even persecution. Bless them, encourage them. May the light that is shining through their brokenness bring hope to people there and everywhere. May this be a wonderful, glorious season for us here at RBC. May our families, our friendships be hopeful because we have seen the light and the light has broken through our darkness and set us free from slavery to sin and death. Thank you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.